the Sefer Oros HaTorah, like Oros HaTshuva, uh, is called, uh, it's collected by Rav Tzvi Yehuda Kohen Kuk, by Rav Kuk's son, and it's uh, organized, meaning Rav Tzvi Yehuda did the work. I'm sorry about the crying in the background. Uh, Rav Tzvi Yehuda, uh, that's my Judah. Um, Rav Tzvi Yehuda did the work of organizing and taking from his father's notebooks. Rav Kuk left dozens and dozens of notebooks uh, from different kufos, different periods of time in his life, and Rav Kuk, uh, Rav Kuk didn't organize them. There were writings that Rav Kuk organized for public consumption. Uh, an example would be Reish Milin, perhaps, uh, which was organized in, and, and, and edited uh, by Rav Kuk himself, but, but Oros HaTorah and Oros HaTshuva and many of the other writings are called from Rav Kuk's diaries and were not necessarily meant for pirsum, for publicizing, and Ritzvi Yehuda uh, went ahead and organized them into Oros HaTorah and Oros HaTshuva, and he tried to find, and, and you'll see the malacha, the work that Ritzvi Yehuda did of organizing it is, is its own work. It actually turns it into its own book. There's a story uh, that's said in the introduction to Akdama to another set of Rav Kuk's farim of uh, Orot and uh, an Oros HaKodesh, which was organized by the Nazir, that when the Nazir brought the, the, first, um, the first volume of Orot HaKodesh, which is a systematic presentation of Rav Kook's philosophy and Rav Kook's theology and uh, the way Rav Kook saw the metaphysical world, that when the Nazir brought it to Rav Kook, Rav Kook gave a bracha to it, but said that this is essentially a different sefer. And indeed, the adding of chapters and the adding of chapter titles and the way in which it's organized like this is in a very special way, turning Rav Kook's words into an organized davar ma, uh, a, a separate thing than the way Rav Kook put it in. And if you, if you have a good edition of, um, of uh, I think the sefer is Otsrot Raya um, from, um, from Rav Tzuriel, so you'll see that he traces and, and the sources, the ta'im that we're gonna see in Orota Torah. Like for, so for example, Aleph and Bez over here, well, that's all Aleph, but they come from very disparate places and different times in Rav Kook's life. And Ritzvi Yehuda was the one that, that organized it as such. So I think it's important to start with the Hakdama of Ritzvi Yehuda. So we're not gonna read the entire Hakdama, but I'm going to turn you to the paragraph. And I'm just gonna look at both editions if you have it. It's the paragraph that starts with the word Achare. So if everybody sees the paragraph that starts with the word Achare, you could give me a thumbs up when you're there. And, uh, and, and I think it's important to see Ritzvi Yehuda's Hakdama to tell us what the Sefer is about, what the Sefer is doing. And then hopefully, Be'ezrus Hashem, tonight, we'll be able to jump into the first chapter itself. So the Hakdama over here says uh, the following. After the death of our great Kohen, uh, he's referring to his father. So he says, And now the Jewish people are starting to return to their land. In these, the beginning of the end of days, this notion that we are finding ourselves in a place that is the ikvisad de Meshicha, that we find ourselves, and we've been saying this for a long time, and may it be true, that we find ourselves in the eschaton. We find ourselves essentially in the end of days. The parakit koninut chazrat shechinata Torah mi galutah. We find the Torah. The Torah itself has gone into Gullus, a concept that we will return to in a second uh, that Rav Kook talks about. The Torah is returning from Gullus to the land of Israel together with the Jewish people. Fortunately, the time that Ritzvi Yehuda is writing this is 1940, so you understand what kind of a global context 
is, is going on. Rav Kook has passed away in 1935. The Sefer is published five years. Orota Torah is published five years after Rav Kook's death. And Rav Tzvi Huda is referring to the terrible events that are starting to become known to Jews outside of Europe. The destruction of the Jews of the Gullus, the Jews that are living in the diaspora. With the destruction of our shuls, our yeshivas, and our places of learning. But we do find, at the same time, we do find many people returning to the land of Israel. We find uh, the we finished the first two aliyot, the third aliyah is starting in earnest, and Jews are now returning, and, and soon enough, the, the refugees from war-torn Europe are going to start flowing into the land of Israel. Of course, the British mandate uh, prevented many Jews from entering there, and, um, and, and surely uh, the Arab countries, and the Arab le- not the countries, but the Mufti of, of Jerusalem, who had aligned himself with Hitler, Yamach Shemo. So there were many things preventing Jews from freely emigrating to the land of Israel, not to mention to other countries, but we do see a, a steady trickle of Jews that are coming from Europe and from the Gola, from the Gullus, into Eretz Yisrael. He says, Mofimata, we see now, with the fifth year of the, past the death of our holy leader, Orota Torah so we find that Orota Tshuva and Orota Torah are going to be organized and presented. Orota Tshuva actually comes before this, published and publicized before this. So we find that the words over here in Orota Torah are going to follow the same pattern. So he says, That Ratzvihuta says, I've gathered and I've collected these statements and these these piskaot, as they're called, I've gathered them from Rav Kook's disparate writings in the Kvatsin, in the notebooks. Many of them are still in manuscript. To this very day, there are many writings of Rav Kook that are still in manuscript. Uh, I'm reading a separate sefer uh, called Le Nevuchayador. There's a very fascinating, if you have the sefer, there's a very fascinating essay in the back, which talks about the fact that even in the official lists of Rav Kook's writings after Rav Kook died, I'm talking about the manuscripts, even in the official lists, certain sparim and certain writings of Rav Kook were not included. And Lenevuch is an example of one of them that was not included and was only discovered much later. So there's still much from Rav Kook that's still a manuscript that we still don't, at least those of us that don't have access to a library like that, that we don't have access to, that we're not completely aware of. So Rav Tzvihud is showing us the very beginning, the very start of sparim of Rav Kook that are starting to come to, publici- to, to being publicized. And much of that work, again, Pretty much all of that work, at least in the early stages, was Rav Tzvi Yehuda and the Nazir. Two different sides, two very different people, two very different uh, distillations of Rav Kook's Torah, and they were the ones that went ahead and organized and, uh, and edited and publicized and turned it into the Sfarim. For example, the Shas Lavan wasn't always Lavan. It, it, initially, the first editions were blue. Uh, not the first edition. The second editions were blue. The first editions looked like regular Sfarim, but that's how we have these works. He says, and I organized them according to topics. And I even added uh, titles and, and headers to the different paragraphs that come from the topics. So we're going to see that, that Ritzuhuda really is creating his own sefer, which is how Rav Kook associated with Oros HaKodesh, that even the, the adding of a headline 
the eating, even the, the adding of a chapter title and the way in which you divide and present the, the, the Piskaot from Rav Kook, that itself is going to be changing into something different. That is going to be changing into a different kind of presentation. So I want you to jump now to, the, we're not going to read the whole Hakdama, but I want you to jump to the next paragraph, which is an even more significant paragraph in the Hakdama. The next paragraph you'll see in your editions, if you have the, the white edition of the Sefer, you'll see the paragraph starts with the word Makbilim. You guys see that word over there, Makbilim? I'm not going, I'm not speaking too fast, am I? Okay, fantastic, all right? You guys are smart, you're B'nai Torah. Uh, we, can, we can move along. We don't have to translate every single thing. Makbilim, he says. Makbilim, these are parallel. These words over here that Rav Kook is writing and being presented in Oros HaTorah are parallel. So the words that Rav Kook is going to be talking about over here directly parallel what Rav Kook, what the Rav, has already said has already said in, in an open letter, and, and this was an open letter to Tov Se Torah, to, to Bnei Torah and to Bnei Yeshiva and Eretz Yisrael when Rav Kook came to Eretz Yisrael, first to Yafo and then to Yerushalayim as the Rav Roshi for Eretz Yisrael and the Rav Roshi for Yerushalayim, which was something that, if you read a biography or a history of Rav Kook, was something that was Shanoi B'machlokes Atsuma, that was, uh, that was caught up in a tremendous machlokes. And he quotes from the letter, Rav Kook says, it's, I don't write this because, because, um, because I have the power to write. That's not why I'm writing these things. The reason I'm writing this is because I don't have the power to be silent. It's because I don't have the power to not write. And indeed, we have a testimony from Tzvi Yehuda himself and other Talmidim that saw the Rav Kook, and if you see his handwriting, it looks like this, that Rav Kook would, would be engaged in almost a trance when he was writing. The Rav Kook would actually write onto the table, uh, off of the paper. Uh, so, so intense was Rav Kook's writing. Uh, there's a concept in, uh, in Judaism, something called Hashabas HaKomus, um, where people, where you have a kind of automatic writing and that which comes out in this trance-like state of writing is actually alpha, is actually revelation of some sort of uh, divine uh, Ruach HaKodesh. And I think that the words of Kuk, when we see them in earnest and we get past the Akdama, we'll see that the words over here are really written with the degree of Ruach HaKodesh. I believe this with every fiber of my being, uh, not just because of the impact that they have on my own soul, but because of what, what comes out and the, the broad 20,000 foot view of the world of Torah and the job of Torah and the work of Torah in our world, uh, that, that there is this notion that Rav Kook is writing because he can't be silent. The Rav Kook is writing because there's a shif'ah elokit, there's a kind of divine flow that's coming into Rav Kook's writings over here. He says, El Tovsi Torah Sherbad, the Rav Kook was writing to, uh, to Torah Jews, uh, to, uh, to, to Shlomi Amuni Yisrael when he, be, when he came to Eretz Yisrael. Ve'ata, and now, because we have the command, we have the obligation, says Ritzvihuda, to, to publicize these words to the rest of the world, to show them to people. The world needs to know what Rav Kook has to say. Especially now with what we talked about before, that Torah is starting to become closer and closer, more concentrated in the land of Israel. There's a joke that says, you know, the greatest supporter of Torah in the history of world has been the state of Israel. You know, for all the anti-Zionists out there, uh, religious anti-Zionists at least, and for all the serious ones, uh, the amount of Torah learning that's happening today in Eretz Yisrael is unprecedented. It never was the case that there was so much Torah. So Yehuda is being prescient in the state. Remember, uh, you know, this is uh, way before uh, many of the yeshivas from Eretz Yisrael had rebuilt themselves and had found themselves 
in the land of Israel. So there's a prescience over here that he's saying that, that we see that the fact that Torah is being concentrated in Eretz Yisrael and brought into this place, that there's a need for these words. And Rav Cook's words about Torah, there's a need for these words to be uh, expressed and given to people and for them to understand Rav Cook's perspective on Torah. And we're going to see that as Oros HaTorah continues, in the beginning it starts with very general comments, very general statements about Torah and that are Shava for any situation, for any matzav, and for any generation. And then Rav Kook gets very, very uh, nitty-gritty in talking about what does Torah Saretz Yisrael look like? Or what does the study of Kabbalah look like for the average person? What is, how does that relate to, to the general understanding of how Torah functioned for generations upon generations since the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash? And what does it mean now? How does Torah function now with all of us coming back to Eretz Yisrael? And that, and that is a significant thing, a significant aspect of any limita Torah uh, when, you, when, you, when you think about it. And Rav Kook explicates his philosophy on this as well. So he says, in addition to this, we find that all of this, people coming to Eretz Yisrael, Torah being gathered in Eretz Yisrael is, is unfortunately coming uh, on account of tremendous suffering. He's referring to what's going on in Europe. He says, For the confusion and, and the terrible things that are going on in our days, we, we find the Yisrael, the Olam, for the Jewish people and for the entire world. A person could feel. And, 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 and when I read this and when I reviewed this in anticipation of learning it with you guys, I was thinking a little bit about our own times, that when times are difficult, there, there maybe is a hava amina, that tashkoach, that, that I, you know, I'm so focused on, on, I'm so focused on other things. I'm so focused on just keeping myself safe and sane that where's Torah going to have a place? Where's Torah going to find its way into me? How can I sit down for a daf gemara? Um, I remember hearing once, I think my brother told me this. I remember hearing once that, um, I forgot which tzaddik says, but there was a tzaddik says that the, that the mocham of Gogu Magog, the war of Gogu Magog, meaning the war of the end of days is going to be whether or not a Jew is able to have kavana during Kriyashma. That the world is going to be so confusing, so busy, so uh, such mihumot, such suffering around us that just to be able to, to be able to put down your phone, to be able to stop thinking about the news, to be able to stop thinking about the virus, to be able to just focus and say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkin Hashem Echad, that itself is going to be the Nisayon of Gogu Magog. And, and, and Rav Tzvi Yehuda is pointing out over here that a person can feel in difficult times, Tashkoch, I don't have any energy for Torah. I don't have any energy to focus on the Daf Gemara. How could I possibly... Yeah? That reminds me of what the Rishoner says about the Hillam and all that. Uh, explain. They said people won't have Kavanah even to say, even to say the Hillam. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mentioned, I wrote that in my, uh, I wrote that in, the, in this essay that I wrote on, um, on the Tikkun Klali. Uh, that the Rishner said that, uh, that uh, you know, right, right, right. Being able to have kavana even for a single Tehillim is going to be a massive achievement, is going to be a massive thing, to be able to go through a kapital Tehillim. So there's a sense that we don't have energy to learn Torah. He says, tzara, and now he quotes from, now he quotes from Kuk, Bimei tzara tochacha v'natsa kibo banim amda admash bevekoch ein leleda, 
quotes a pasuk, and he says that we find ourselves in a time that, that a person literally doesn't have the ability. It's a mashber, it's a, 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 a catastrophe outside. A person's not going to be able to focus themselves for anything. He says, And this is for us. And this is why I think the Sefer, and this is when I read this in the Akdam, I said, ah, this is the Sefer that we need to learn because we need chizek in our limit Torah. And, and, and I don't need to say, I'll just editorialize for a second. I need to say that, that I hope for you that if you felt a difficult time or if you felt yourself overwhelmed, and I certainly have found myself overwhelmed at different times, escaping to Torah, escaping to Sfarim, escaping to Tefillah, it's not an escape. Escape, I think, um, escape, I think, minimizes it. But, but running, running to the Ir Miklat, running to, to the, the Ir Miftzar, to the fortified city of Torah and Tefillah, and opening up a Sefer and diving into something that's eternal, and diving into something that's going to last far beyond the particular moment, political, social, uh, health moment that we find ourselves in, is, 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 I think, shows us the Koach of Torah. I think it shows us the the power of Torah to be able to do these things. I think I'm running out of time. So I want to, um, uh, let me just check for a second. Um, I have a full screen, so I don't really see you guys. Uh, okay, I'm almost running out of time. So I want to be able to finish the Hakdama over here. And Mir um, next week will finish the first parak. So in the Hakdama, he says, he says, these words of my father, these words of Cook, and the words speaking about Torah in general, that find themselves deeply rooted in all of Torah's sources, that should be our guide. That should be our teacher. That should be our path. And he says, With the added effect of the ingathering of exiles, with the added effect of Jews returning back to this holy and special land. And now he quotes from Reish Milan of his father, and we'll end with this tonight. He quotes from Reish Milan. Again, Reish Milan is, uh, is, if you have the white sefer, so then you can look in the back, Reish Milan is the last part of the Hamishia. And again, it's a treatise, a short Kabbalistic treatise of Cook um, about the Hebrew alphabet and about the Nikudos. Um, shout out to my brother who his first series uh, was a series about, um, um, his first series was a series about Reish Milan and uh, he tried to do his best in explaining that. I think he did a fantastic job. So he quotes from Cook over here in the Hakdama to Reish Milan. He says, Az So how do we stay strong? So how do we keep ourselves strong? How do we keep ourselves on our two feet? Lachzik ma'amad. Bizman shachayim noflim heim b'mehamoros hamleos micheshke resh v'toh. When a person finds themselves in a world filled with evil, with tohu, with chaos, with tragedy around them, Rav Kook is writing this during the First World War when he found himself in London, which is when Reish Milan was being written. So when we find ourselves in this kind of a world, a person finds themselves overtaken by a thirst for the hidden aspect of Torah, by a thirst for Pnimiya Satorah, by a thirst and by a desire to understand what's going on underneath all of this Torah that I'm supposed to be learning. What's the connection of this system? How does Torah not seem like a chaotic thing to me, but that a unified joint system that teaches me how to live my life? So he says, So comes a desire for the hidden part of the Torah. This, this thing that we feel sometimes in our lives, I could touch it. I could get a sense of, of this hidden aspect of everything that I'm supposed to be learning. And I want to draw that down. I want a kind of eagle-eye view of all this to give me a sense of what's the unifying part. I hope Julian is okay. 
Are you okay, Julian? Okay, good. It seems scary where you are. Um, <laughs> that's, I'm locked to this place. Uh, why use security? I know. I know the feeling. Right? They turn you off. They send you out of the library. I know. It's rough. Icon. What can you do? Um, all right. As long as you're okay. And we're going to finish this line because I want to let you guys go and I want to stick to, uh, to my promise to you guys about your time. So he says, so the hidden level, the underlying part of everything that happens in our lives. How do we understand what's going on? How do we make sense? How do we have a common thread? Something to hold on to. A yated nema. He says, So whatever's going on outside in the world, all the confusion hasn't touched Sifrei Chasidus. It hasn't touched the Gemara. It hasn't touched the Shulchan Arach. It hasn't touched Rav Kook. It hasn't touched this Torah. This Torah is above it. This Torah is sealed off from that. It's truth. It's something that doesn't have to deal with the lies of the world outside of us. It doesn't have to deal with the pain of the world outside of us. It, in fact, helps us address it. And Rav Kook says there's, a, a, in times, especially in times of, last night was the, the yard set of the Piazetzna. I think it's, it's apropos. In times of chaos and pain, to run to the Torah is to figure out a way in which to deal with it productively and constructively. And what happens is when you dive and you put down your bucket into this world, into these kind of statements, and much of Rav Kook is going to say over here, is going to be based on Kabbalistic sources, is going to be based on Pneumia Satora, and expressed in a language that we could take it and we could refer it back to the Nigla, that we could refer it back to the revealed aspects of the Torah, and then we could refer it back to the revealed aspects of our lives. I'm just going to rush through the last part of it. That we could slake our dried bones. Again, referring to the dry bones in the Vu of Yechaskel. That we could take our dried bones and pour water, sustaining, life-giving water of Torah onto these things. The most prominent muscle of Torah throughout all of Chazal and throughout all the Torah is Mayim. Is Mayim. Right? Ain't Torah la Mayim. And that we take, that we imagine ourselves as thirsty, we imagine ourselves as dried out, walking through a desert, and learning these words, and understanding what Rav Kook has to say about this, and really the whole library behind me, what it has to say about this, that itself is the thing that's going to go ahead and going to slake our thirst, that's going to give us a sense of, ah, okay, now I can move on. That sometimes feels like it's so suppressed and that we can't do it, because of the fact that life has become so confused. So my bracha to us is that in our learning and our finishing this sefer, and that's all we're going to do for Nakdama, our learning and our finishing the sefer, uh, is that we're able to do exactly that. Where Rav Kook says in Reish Milan during World War I, that we're going to be able to do now in 2020, that, that a deep dive into Pneumius, into the way Rav Kook presents his understanding, his philosophy of how all of Torah works, is that we're going to bring it into your Siddharim, into Seder Boker, into your afternoon Seder, into your night Seder, into whatever you're learning, and that you'll be able to say, the learning that I'm doing, when I'm learning Gemara, like Rav Shagar tells us, Limud Gemara Kebakashat Elokim, Learning, I guess when I'm quoting Israeli rabbis, I'm speaking in modern Hebrew, um, but we're learning Gemara as a search for God. And not just as a search for God, but once we search for God, we realize we're also searching for ourselves. So that's my bracha to us, and I'm committed in Mirza Hashem to be able to finish this. I want to thank you all, and I want to wish you all really a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos. I'll, I'll put this online if it's okay with everybody.